Hello, it's Matt and Becky here from Local Zero. Just a quick note to say before the episode starts that from April 2024, Local Zero will be looking for some new funding to keep it going. We never imagined when we started three years ago that we'd rack up tens of thousands of listens across 130 countries and with a website hosting over 80 episodes. We've also met and worked with some incredible people, including Chris Stark, Hannah Ritchie, Jim Ski, Hugo Tacom, and so many more. And we've been able to showcase so many amazing local climate initiatives from all over the UK and far beyond. But sadly, keeping the pod going costs money. If you or your organisation would like to partner up with the pod as we move into an exciting new chapter, then do reach out to us. You can contact us via our email, localzeropod at gmail.com. That's localzeropod at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on X, formerly Twitter, at localzeropod, or on LinkedIn, direct to Matt Hannon or Rebecca Ford. Finally, to help us in our quest to secure funding, we want to hear positive stories from listeners about how the pod has influenced your life and your work. We hope to do a very special episode on this too. So please help us continue the fight against climate change and bring local climate action to doorsteps across the world. Thanks for listening. Now back to the pod. Hello and welcome to Local Zero with myself, Matt and Becky. Yes, and today we're joined by James Bonner, who will be talking to us about the Every Tree Tells a Story project. Yes, a really exciting project that aims to understand how each of us are connected to the trees around us. So if you have your own personal story about trees, then please do get involved in the conversation, whether that's via X formerly known as Twitter, at LocalZeroPod, or you can email us in more detail at our email address, LocalZeroPod at gmail.com. As you'll have heard at the very beginning, Local Zero is looking for new funding to keep us going. So if the pod has helped you with your work or your studies, please do get in touch to let us know. This helps us a lot more than you might think. So, Becky, my first episode back... Still dusting off the uh, <laughs> tinsel and mince pies and all the rest. Um, but how are you? How are things? Yeah, we're all good down here. Thanks, Matt. And uh, we certainly missed you on our last episode. An absolutely fantastic recording all about yep. arts and local climate action. Uh, you would have absolutely loved it. No, I'm really sorry to have missed out on that. And I have to say, I keep coming back to this point about storytelling and the importance Mm -hmm. of a good story in trying to win hearts and minds about tackling some of the you know, the big issues, but also doing something that's exciting and positive and meaningful and that connects to the individual. So I I really enjoyed listening to that and um, sounds like you enjoyed recording it too. Yeah, I I absolutely did. And I have a very dear colleague of mine who says, you know, stories are data with a soul. And so I really do think about that, you know, like you can take, you can take your bar graphs and they're very important. And we all know that the the information that underlies them is is absolutely critical in our field and informing climate and nature action and, and so on. But actually, it doesn't connect with most people. So uh, those stories are absolutely uh, critical if we want to get widespread change. Yeah, and and maybe let me get my tuppence worth in here because I wasn't on the episode. But I'm always quite surprised by how poorly funded the arts and culture um, Mm -hmm. space is versus big tech, uh, business enterprise. And 
certainly that's the case when we think about sustainability and net zero that we don't necessarily have a big budget for low carbon storytelling yet i don't know if you're like me becky but the number of hours i spend probably you know watching netflix and amazon prime and all this stuff uh reading books listening to the radio you know whether it be um uh you know documentaries or or plays and each of us do this, you know, each of us spend a tremendous amount of time. So why are we not using this as one of our key weapons in the arsenal, uh, you know, to tackle climate change and other other crises? Yeah. And I think, Matt, even with really, really practical actions as well, and I, and I reflect back on a project I was involved in when I lived in New Zealand, and it was all about retrofit um, and retrofit in some of Dunedin's worst and most challenging homes. And we try to really engage people with personalized information and advice about what they could do. But actually, the thing that really spoke to, to people involved in this study was hearing the stories from their friends or neighbors and peers who'd actually done something and not just hearing the stories about how they did it but hearing the stories about the impact that it's made on their lives which so often extends yeah. beyond you know the immediate energy or, or climate impacts that we think about i agree and so i'm going through a process with my my two uh, little whippersnappers so they're seven years old. They're just wow. getting, getting used to to reading now. So you know they can actually read stuff off the book. So we're going through a lot of fairy tales, some of the real old school ones like Brothers Grimm and you know, wow. all the classics. Uh, I have to say the moral of the story um, or the morals of these stories often very odd. Uh, yeah. Rumpel Stiltskin would be one of the strangest. Yeah. Really weird. Like, but at the end of each one, I'll pause and I say, "So what's the moral of the story?" And they they're actually pretty on the money. And if there isn't one, they normally sniff that out quite quickly. But if we go back to the sort of ecological sustainability angle, you know, stories like the Lorax, not a fairy tale, but obviously Dr. Seuss and really fantastic mm -hmm. story about sustainability, that really resonates. And it mm -hmm. resonates with, you know, somebody who's three years old as, as much as it does with somebody who's 93. Yep. So I, I really feel very strongly about the arts culture, humanities, this space being at the forefront of this. And, and I, I really hope 24 is the year that it really takes off. Yeah. And I will, I will say, Matt, so your kids are similar age to mine and um, mine are absolutely fascinated. We're, we're really into Enid Blyton and yeah. we've been listening to stories about Cherry Tree Farm, which is all about how these kids were mm. so sick living in London and they kept getting ill. So they were sent away to the country to live with their aunt and uncle on the farm. And it's all about their stories around the farm and the woodland. And of course, yeah. we can't forget the magical faraway tree as well, which I think is particularly apt considering today's conversation. Yeah. I, I mean, these are I guess positive stories ultimately, mm -hmm. or at least they they maybe end on a positive note. We're starting to see this come out in the mainstream, as uh, so in the cinema, we or at least a lot of streaming services. But I noticed there's a new film out called "The End We Start From" with Jodie Comer. I guess it follows on from "Don't Look Up" with, with DiCaprio and others. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't sound a very positive tale. I haven't read, watched the film yet, and it <laughs> might end up on a positive note. But the the uh, the kind of <laughs> The um, subtext is Coma plays a young woman whose baby arrives just as an environmental crisis begins to break the society around her. So pretty dystopian. Hopefully she lives a very happy, uh, fulfilling life and so does her child. But um, yeah, 
is is that the way to win hearts and minds? I don't know. Well, I'll, you know I'll reserve I, judgment till I watch it. But I did bring this up actually in our in our chat on the last episode around the notion of hope versus despair, and that often you know s- stories can focus on some of the the real challenges out there and can leave you feeling a little bit you know hopeless, I guess. And yeah. uh, and one of the things we talked about was that actually action inspires hope. And so getting involved and and I think that our places and our communities provide such an important way to do that. So, you know, bringing those stories yeah. and connecting them to place and connecting them to community is, is absolutely critical. But I'm just going to jump from that this point about communities because I think you've got some very exciting news about communities. I do. Yes. So it's been um a little bit been been a while in the making, but um we are due very shortly to launch a new institute for sustainable communities at the University of Strathclyde engineering department and be an initiative long term friend of the pod Dr. Jen Roberts who you've worked very closely with in mm-hmm. the past. Um but we've got a a, a growing gaggle of community, um, place-based sustainability experts here, and we're trying to bring them all together. And I do think that, again, 2024 is going to be the year that, um, particularly in the UK, communities rise to the fore of the news agenda. We're seeing already happening in Scotland with the transmission lines, crisscrossing, mm-hmm. potentially crisscrossing across uh, the Scottish highlands and islands to get electricity down south what does that mean for local communities that's a very isolated example but we're looking about how we can empower and enrich communities through our research so yeah busy time for me and colleagues (laughs) well massive congrats (laughs) this is so exciting i'm absolutely thrilled for you but i'm more thrilled for the wider research environment because i think so often we focus on those you know the supply side of energy and on you know technological solutions to the climate crisis and actually that's that's very important i'm not dismissing it but we don't focus enough on people and communities and what the, mm. the amazing groundswell of action that's happening there. So I am absolutely thrilled that you are bringing that to the fore and that Strathclyde has has supported that and um, yeah. and is really driving it forward. It's absolutely brilliant news. Yeah, no, th- thrilled. Bit busy time. So we'll come back uh, with with more information on that. I'm hoping to have a launch in April, uh, and maybe Local Zero can be there. And also hoping that the institute can support local zero to push on and crack on into the rest of this year so uh, we'll bring news when it comes through however what has been occupying the mainstream news of late as we speak and um in fact we've just survived another one are storms so often at this time of the year local zero hosts um reflect back on how do we get on i think previous episode before christmas i think we had um, Paul Fraser was nearly washed out of his house. Yes. Um, so we've had two more. We've had Aisha and Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. Um, really bad up here, uh, particularly Aisha. We, I woke up to a number of trees down, given the episode is all about trees. It was a, a moment of loss or renewable, renewal as some might frame it. How was it down Cornwall Way? Oh, we were battered. We were absolutely battered. But uh, where I'm on the coast, we don't have quite as many trees. So you see it in different ways. And the seas have been raging and it is quite I mean it's no surfing then 
Well, I mean, some people. Too much. Some people were still out in the sea like a couple of days ago when the winds were pretty high. Um, Nutters. But yeah, absolute nutters. No, I've not been going anywhere near it. It's been it's been absolutely absolutely insane. But there's something very Mm. awe inspiring around it. You know, I mean, sometimes it gets to the point of being a little bit terrifying. And I'm not going to lie, I did sort of lie awake in my home, um, hearing the wind battering the house down at one point really really quite unnerving but you know when it's when it's not quite at that level that's kind of you know severe threat there is something very magical about witnessing how wild nature really is and it really puts you in your place you know (laughs) you feel very humbled by it all I, I think that's right, and and I do think it's a window into the reality on climate change for, for the every person about the frequency of these storms and the severity of these storms. Um, and if you know your your home or your neighbourhood or friends or family have been affected by these, um, you know, the question is how 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 bad will things get going forward? So I, as much as I lament the pain that people have been through, and obviously people have been uh, hurt and worse during these Mm -hmm. storms, they are an important reminder about where we're at. As I said, a number of trees down. I was, we were lucky that we didn't lose any in the, in the garden. We've got a couple of big ones. And one day, if one of them falls, um, I might be homeless kind of thing. We'll talk more with James in a moment, but you've got young children. So do I, I guess for me, one of the, key reasons I wanted to do this episode is once my two got old enough to climb and play in trees and to, they, my love for trees kind of reached a new level um, and started to look at them in a different way. But what do they mean to you? And why, why are you excited about doing this episode? Yeah. I mean, uh, similarly, you know, my kids, uh, my kids have grown up around playing in the trees and around the trees. And so I think they've always had that kind of element of curiosity and exploration. But for me, I think they, they really ground me, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think I think this about a specific tree. And, and I know some of my friends and, and colleagues will have trees that they think about, you know, the ones that they, the very specific ones that they climbed as a kid and were deeply connected to for, for whatever reason. I think for me, it's more um, the the serenity and peace that, br- that being in a woodland area brings to me. Yeah. And the ever-changing quality of that over the year you know and how different that is in the summer shade it brings or in the the leaves that come down through the winter and the you know the beautiful colors and then the rebudding in spring and that kind of new life coming into being and and I just feel so kind of peaceful and calm in those in those areas yeah I completely agree. That, that kind of forest bathing, or, or mm-hmm. what, what you know, uh, similar to that. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I've been reflecting on this question for a while, and I think the value I find is that they transcend. They should, if we look after them, transcend the human mm-hmm. life cycle. And there's, there was a tree that really I thought put this into perspective. There's a, a little uh, two sort of. I hesitate to say towns, but they're kind of large villages in Persia, Dunkeld and Burnham, uh, separated by a large river. I think it's the River Tay, but if I'm wrong, somebody kick me. And they're on 
opposing sides of the Tay. And in Burnham, there is the Burnham Wood. Now, for folk who've read Macbeth and know Shakespeare, they'll know um, the importance of of the Burnham Wood in Macbeth. And if you go to the that wood today, you will find the Burnham Oak, which is in my trusty manual of Scotland's heritage trees. Which, uh, as a tree geek, is you know is 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 akin to the Bible. Uh, and in there, you'll find the Burnham Oak. Now, the Burnham Oak, they think stood when Shakespeare, they think, would have visited back in the 1500s. Wow. And was inspired by the wood to write this particular um, section about the witches and what have you. And it's still there. And I've got a picture of my kids inside it. Now, why is that important? Because I think it puts me, and it should put all of us in our place, mm-hmm. on two fronts. One is how fleeting our time is and how nature transcends that. Mm-hmm. And the second is to to disrupt that in a moment, you know, whether it be to, you know, accidentally sort of trigger a forest fire or to slash the, these yeah. trees down or, or for whatever purposes, um, you are disturbing centuries, potentially millennia of, of, of growth. And so it's this notion of longevity versus this instantaneous disruption of that ancient order of things. And I think that's where humans fit in. Mm. We can really cock things up very quickly. <laughs> and, and then it takes a long time to put them back together again. And yeah. and that's where I think we should be reminded. What a really amazing reflection and story. And I think that's kind of the, the inspiration for, for today's chat with James. So it we is. should probably bring him in. Bring him in. My name's James Bonner. I'm a research associate at the University of Strathclyde, and I work on a project called Epic Tree Tells a Story. Welcome, James. It's a pleasure to have you on the pod. James and I bumped into each other recently in the Cairngorms National Park. We actually been working in the same department for a while and hadn't quite connected about this really exciting project we're going to hear more about. I think it took a few days in the midst of a whole bunch of trees in the most beautiful setting, icy cold Cairngorms with people ice swimming and what have you in the lock, to really get a sense of the importance of your project and what it might mean for all of us. So why don't we begin at the beginning? What is your project about every tree tells a story and how did you end up getting so involved with the trees? Yeah, thanks, Mark. The story, or every tree as we shorten it to, started in spring 2021. Um, I joined in summer 2022, but it's really uh, a group of friends, as people kind of refer to it, um, some academics from institutions in Glasgow and elsewhere, um, some local authority professionals, um, and also some other creative practitioners who have got together um, for the love of trees um, to share knowledge about them, to you know hopefully affect some policy decisions. Um, but generally share that passion and care for trees. From my own point of view, yeah, trees are not my research background or, or area, but I've always cared for trees, always seen trees. I have a favourite tree in art nearby me, cycle past every day, um, and take photographs mm-hmm. of it from the same spot, and I have this kind of compilation for five years, and it's become a bit of a friend to me, particularly over the last five, six years when we've had those attachments from one another so that's my my tree association very good and before we get sort of more into the project and why it was established i was taken at the, this ken gorman's residential we had a sort of collective of different researchers with different backgrounds and we all had to sort of stand up and talk a bit about our disciplinary backgrounds and what we did and uh, why it was relevant to sustainability 
And I think you were the only person in the room who stood up and said that you were an accountant by training. And I was quite taken aback on the one hand and really pleasantly surprised that we had somebody who was an accountant who, who was working on such a kind of exciting, different, and, and very kind of ecologically minded project, which is about people and trees. So, so maybe if you just take a moment to connect accountancy to trees, if you might. So how long have we got? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'll try and make that long connection. Well, my background, my undergraduate is was also at Strathclyde, in fact, and triple graduate of Strathclyde mm. now. So my undergraduate, undergraduate was actually in a degree called Technology and Business Studies, which no longer exists at the university, 20-something years ago. And that was in accounting and manufacturing engineering. So a combined degree. And uh, I followed that through. And, you know, I, I've always had a lot of doubts about my my background in accounting or to study accounting. You know, we make these choices at an early age. You're good at maths yeah. um, or, you know, using numbers. But my interest has always been more widely in case my manufacturing experience to me into design, which is a passion of mine. Um I really got to the end of my kind of accounting degree that some colleagues at the university who worked around sustainability accounting, social ecological accounting, and I really realised there was a, there was a lot of space for me there around thinking about accountability. How do we think about value? How do we think about mm. nature? How do we think of those things? And not quantifying or financialising is only one way of thinking about value. Um, so later, I took me on to a master's in ecological studies, environmental studies, which was becoming closer. And then after a time away of working, I eventually did my doctorate at Strathclyde, sat in accounting again um, through contact there, but um, on water and working with hydrology and engineering, um, really moving towards anthropology, the arts, critical geography. So I, I see I'm in it an accountant but I've always floated yeah. um, water as my doctorate research and it's felt very close to me because I feel quite watery I tend to move and shift very fluid and, and go where well, go where people take me um, very good I, I, I like this idea about accounting for nature and accounting for value I'm listening to this I'm thinking you know I'm I'm really fascinated by the project and um I recently so I used to live up in Glasgow I've recently moved down to Cornwall and I live by the coast and one of the things that I've really recognized from that move and where I live is is actually the difference in in what I see in terms of the trees. Like we just don't have the same sort of um tree species, tree life. Like down here near mm. the coast, it's a very different environment. And it's something that I was reflecting on actually over the Christmas period as really missing um from from living in Glasgow and living so close to to some of the amazing, you know parks and close to the city and as you were saying sort of up in the Cairngorms and and the more kind of remote environments um, and a lot of this was prompted by my six-year-old telling me what he wanted for Christmas and he wanted a book about trees to tell him how to take mm. care and look after trees and this request came completely unprompted like I, I, it just sort of appeared almost to come out of nowhere and so I've been thinking about this a lot and I just wonder you know from from everything that you've been involved in and from all the activities you've been doing with the Every Tree Project, do you, you know, what what do you think it is about trees that makes us so kind of viscerally connected to them, um, even from that very young age? Is there something special about them? Yeah, I, I wonder this, and I think this is an interesting thing, and maybe we'll come to around how we go around doing 
collecting stories on, on trees, but everyone has a story about a tree, you know, and an association to a tree. I mean, we see them very present. We've just come out of Christmas and the Christmas tree is, you know, this motif symbol of, of this yearly festival. But we see trees in places we are, we, we climb them, we, we associate with them. So they are, they are, they are out there in the world. They are part of our communities and yeah, trees are special, but I think there's something about presence and there's something about their age which is interesting I think is that they often tend to be older than us but they're not so old we can kind of attach to them um, and we can see them grow we can see them go through seasonal cycles so I think we recognize them as part of our communities and I think this is um powerful reason why we attach to them but they're in stories you know they're stories we hear from a young age and fables and tales and um a lot of the language we use um something about them so james i wonder you mentioned there about the kind of capturing these stories so when i was at this cairngorms retreat with you you were using postcards so i i just wonder if you could talk a bit about what the project did to capture these types of values and stories that Becky and yourself are referring to because that that's really difficult to do to kind of distill that into a, a unit of data as as we sort of boffins might refer to it yeah I, I think some good this and this has been one of the main methodologies these postcards which I have which have been beautifully designed by a local artist and this idea of using postcards with this free space on them so they're you know they're quite large they're not they're not really small postcards, but enough space for people to write or to draw to engage with with some prompts. So our kind of prompt is, you know, every tree tells a story, what is yours? And that's really all we've given people and allows people to open up about the story of a tree. And really it has been quite an evolving methodology, not one that I had done before, but in my own doctorate research, I use things like walking methodologies and mapping, deep mapping, which involves, you know, drawing where you're gone and, and annotating and adding stories to it. So that kind of concept of collating has always been really important to me. But the postcards themselves, a lot of this over the last year or so was was really me going out into the city um, and uh, just encountering people in places with a bunch of postcards on a bike. Um, actually, I've got a little post box built from a local woodworker which was some planks of wood that were from a floorboard and were remade into a post box so people could literally post into mm. the box that I was carrying around again that was coming from a tree you know and it was this cycle where we we're using pencil you know the pencil used a tree uh, as well with its wood so kind of connecting all of those things but yeah me going out into the city people just saying you know can can we can you tell us a story, please, about a tree? And that's been you know, that's been the experience. Did you find quite a strong engagement? Were there any particular groups of people that were maybe more engaged than others? And and what sort of things were they were they telling you? Yeah, I think you know, multi generations being engaged with, and and obviously, I think it depends where you go. You know, I did some really around the university, Strathclyde University of Strathclyde, on our campus as well, and that gave us stories from you know, from students, from young people, international 
students as well who brought really interestingly brought stories of trees from mm. elsewhere. So we have this this in this compilation of, of trees that people add from their memory, from their past, from their childhood that they they brought for a moment to me in the city in Glasgow. So it was almost like trees visited for a moment, as people told them. Older people would talk of memories, particularly. I also did one or two more kind of formal workshops with primary school children around, you know, I think they were about nine or ten. And they told us stories of tree. Interestingly, when we did with them was, you know, ask, tell us a story of a tree. And you can see sometimes a bit of, oh, I'm not sure what to do. And then I'm like, you can draw. And as soon as that permission to draw was given, this amazing uh, output. And I think this was a real reminder of, you know, how we articulate stories and that we, we go down the automatic line of, you know, something articulating through words. But there's other ways of representing. And this is important, I think, when we go back to, uh, articulating value or articulating story or narrative of what's important. There's other ways of mm. of talking. There's other ways of seeing, and there's other ways of giving representation. Um, kids, the drawings are beautiful from kids. James, I wanted to kind of push a bit more at that about our connection with a tree versus trees. The first was whether, as humans, we we maybe we're better positioned to have a connection with a tree singular than trees. It's a forest or a wood. And I rather glibly said this to you, I think, when we were, we were walking, and because I'm a sucker for a pun, whether you actually have an issue where humans may not be able to see the wood for the tree, i.e. they have a, a focus on an individual tree and a connection to that, but then they kind of miss the bigger picture. And it's this, this issue where they might have a connection with an you know, individual beautiful tree, but then not necessarily make the connection with that and, and the deforestation of virgin woodland. I think associated with that is also the different values that we uh, ascribe to trees. And, and at the retreat, um, a colleague of ours, uh, Arno from, uh, from the University of Edinburgh, who's from Canada said, you know, trees really are, are lumber, you know, in Canada, that we we see these as a kind of the lifeblood of the local economy. So there's a couple of things here about our connection with an individual tree or, or the plural, but also that that I think when I think you ask most people in the UK their connection with a tree, they're thinking sort of recreational, personal, family, rather than a job. So two wicked questions possibly, but any is this something that's come up? Um, in, in, in your research? Yeah, no, I think this is an interesting thought and it's a recognition that trees and maybe when I was inferring about, you know, the post uh, the, using pencils or the post box we had, you know, there's an inference that trees are, are cyclical. They move through, you know, our economies, our society, how we interact with them. And I think that's an interesting point from a philosophical idea is that it's recognising how trees Special, they move, they they change, they live, they die. We use them, but we're embedded with them in that sense. So I think depending on your perspective, whom you talk to, you would get a different discussion around mm. trees. You know whether there were if you talk to a wood a woodworker or a carpenter, you would you would get a different discussion. Or you know you talk to someone who worked in forestry or these different ones. I guess from the group that we talked to, you know there are members of the public and generally members of the public would see trees in the places they lived. And, and and by extension, value is subjective. So I think that's a really good example of how when we talk about you know whether somebody values something that's environmental, ecological, we must understand their standpoint first. 
And I guess that to come back to the, the sort of accounting idea that I often use the idea of an accounting idea to give an account, and that's getting back to the underlying principles of what accounting is. And that idea to give an account is used more in the arts. It's used in, you know, anthropology. It's used in political geography is to give an account, to give a story, to give a representation. So these are accounts of people's association or valuing, which is, yeah, incredibly subjective. But, you know, for me, valuation is a subjective idea based on, you know, how we interpret the world. And that's, from an accounting point of view, is an interesting accounting or economic economic point of view is to, to go back to how we think of how we value so much in society. And that's dependent on worldviews yeah. and potentially dominant worldviews, which, you know, assert how value is represented and that was that considered does that take into account values which have been have been and sort of pushed to the side to, to, to bridge that point into the value of a, of an individual tree versus trees and i go back to the, the incident in autumn 23 i think it was or, or yeah late summer autumn where we lost the sycamore tree which was cut down if, if listeners don't know what i'm referring to probably heard of hadrian's wall which was the roman wall which divided ancient or roman scotland from um uh, sorry roman england i should say from 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 scotland and was cut down in the middle of the night and which caused a you know whole furore around um, why was this cut and a, a kind of national mourning that sort of spoke about a value associated with a tree. Yet you don't necessarily see the same upset about well, you do in some quarters, but the trees lost through, for instance, HS two. I'm not saying that they're, that's right or wrong, but hundreds thousands of trees lost versus the singular one, and I would argue that more column inches were given to the former rather than the latter. Yeah. This is how stories are told, you know, and how how things are represented and they are dependent on how those are presented and the value that's attributed. But, you know, we have this idea around trees, and I think it's an important point is that we can back to your point earlier, Matt, about you know seeing a singular tree or collective trees and treescapes is something that come up in forestry and different cultures or people that we spoke to would talk about those depending on where you you kind of came from they we found um some answers from people from the nordics or from from germany for example who talked about forestry and talked about going to the forest and going to the woods and these seem to be linked to more kind of cultural practices about how you encounter the world um and how you do it as a as a you know as a practice um and i think you know these are interesting things to think of is that it's how we engage with the world that mm. helps us understand of how we come to value um, and those those seem important to open up so i want to start to connect some dots here because i think what you've been saying and, and what we've been talking about and the these stories and these values and uh, and um that we hold associated with a specific tree or a group of trees is absolutely fascinating but we haven't yet talked about this in the context of the very very important role that our trees and forests play in climate and nature and you know that that broader focus i think that we try and take on the pod around local climate action place-based sustainability so how do we start to understand 
the you know the insights from the stories that you've been collecting how do we join those dots to that kind of broader context of supporting local climate action yeah it's interesting the stories what you tell it's a recognition from people of the value that trees do offer for things like climate for you know air quality shade habitats for 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 non-human life um ecological value but i'm really interested in that idea of social and ecological value that also combines with how important they are to society to humans and i think there's a key philosophical point there about recognizing that us as humans as society are embedded in nature or local nature or local places and that we depend on them and increasingly they depend on us so from a, a kind of knowledge point of view i think these stories are really important to open up that idea of connection and that underpinning all of our kind of local and global sustainability challenges are a recognition that we are not separate from this world out there and when we start to recognize that embeddedness then we can start to we can start to think of value in a different way and i think sometimes that step is neglected or not given space but these stories actually beautifully articulate and account and capture that idea um and then that sharing between people because doing these stories for me we talk about you know the outputs of postcard but each of these stories involved me you're speaking to the person and then writing the postcard but a discussion and an interaction happened between us and I love this idea of going out to you know the city centre of Glasgow or you know somewhere else and actually doing this almost performance of giving out the postcards and sharing stories and not only were we doing that to one another the person I was speaking to people could see what was going on and they may come and um be involved as part of that and that idea of a kind of performance is really important in forming within our local communities around story making and story sharing feels important as recognizing for recognizing value i completely agree and i, I think it's also about taking people out of the the doom and gloom of sustainability ecological breakdown what have you and and connecting this as you say to one of the most basic traits of of humanity really which is storytelling and and i do think this is something i keep coming back to is about how do you excite people how do you connect people how do you inspire people in a way that sort of quietly and calmly connects them to the issue at hand and and begins to in, encourage them in a different direction or at least encourage them to ask different questions. I think you raised something really important about, you know, these positive stories that we call them around trees. But I think it's important to recognise, you know, within the stories, there's there's deep melancholy as well. There's there's loss of tree. And particularly what was really kind of hurtful was speaking to some stories coming from children who were recognising death of tree. They were, they were recognising climate change. They were recognising there's, you know, thread of eco and eco anxiety coming through what was being written so i think value of the postcards as well is that they allow for a complexity of story to emerge from what's been written it's not positive or it's not necessarily negative it's it's a kind of space for people to 
express these different emotions. And I think this is an important part of storytelling is that it's not binary and it allows for a kind of complex story to emerge. So I would really push that as an, an important aspect of, of, of what's been written. And so, you know, to think about taking these these stories, we have, you know, we have started working in some specific outputs around, you know, policy paper and some academic papers, which will be important for us within the university. But for me, ours themselves, the value of the story is something that needs to be protected. So, you know, I sought to archive them and hold them and display them, you know. So one of the things I'm grappling with, I'm, I'm a policy wonk and I know Becky is, is too, you know, we're often... We, what the work that we do leads back to how how can it impact upon policymakers, civil servants, parliamentarians? But actually, I wonder whether what we have here is very much more in the kind of third sector space, and it's it's much more about grassroots community. And I'll give you a concrete example, and it's something James, you and I have spoken about. But we're involved with um, through the charity uh, South Seeds in the South Side of Glasgow is tree trails. Um, these exist. Across the piece, I know James was talking about um, some of the universities in Glasgow looking at this too. But these are powerful ways of connecting people to trees, connecting them to the landscape, connecting them to other people who are connected to the trees and landscape. Um, it, you know, in terms of who you're who you're taking these results to and findings to, who who could help you most? Is this a third sector play, or or are, is it across the board? Yeah, thanks for that for raising the, the tree trails because that is an important thing. And we, we did a, one of the things that emerged from this actually as part of another project as well about health and well-being and getting outside and physical activity, which is other work I do at the university, is that getting outside and finding the trees and within our city, these trails, but those, it's this almost, let's go and look at some trees actually just brought out connection between People allowed them to talk about the trees, but allowed to talk to them with one another in this fluid way of walking. And this is my another part of my research about walking methodologies, walking with water, walking with trees. And the way we walked is at a tempo that allows us to think and converse. And this is what we've always done. Deep aspects of philosophy have come from walking. You know, that's the basis of a lot of this. And I think that combination is one that I really want to take forward. The trails plus the postcarding this methodology that is getting outside on who do we go to i think anyone can be involved in this i think policymakers and work with you know academic workshops when you're doing a workshop in in the in the in a room and it's you're all stuck around a table and it's been going well but we've done it we're like let's go and do the tree trail let's go outside let's engage with one another differently and that fluidity of movement allows for people to converse differently. So the trees are a bit of a conduit just for conversation making and representing. So I think, you know, this could be something that can be done with policymakers. This can be done with school kids. This can be done with citizens. I think it's the methodology. It's the it's the way of encountering the world. And I think different things can be raised by doing process. And it's the process of doing yeah. is for me is really important. There was an article in the paper yesterday at the time we're recording this, so mid-January, talking about how kids are suffering because they just lack the ability to get outdoors and play outdoors. And I think back to my, I think about my kids' upbringing and, you know, the school, they, they, until they were 
five, so until they went to school, they spent most of every day outdoors in the woods. They went to, to yeah. um to a forest uh, forest nursery and it was amazing and they and you could see the difference in them when they didn't get to be outdoors they they were frustrated and their emotions were you know flying off the handle a bit more and and it just they were a lot calmer after they'd spent that time outdoors and now they're they're at a great school but it's all concrete they have outdoor areas, but there's nothing natural there at all. And you see that across towns. And I just, I think that some of the things you're talking about really give rise to, um, really make us need to examine the way that we are educating yeah. our kids as well as working together and influencing policymakers. I, I couldn't agree more. I wonder whether we can end on a nice question for each of us, which is, what is your favorite tree? Um, James, I'm going to begin with you. If you had to pick one, what might it be? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, there is a tree, a very favourite tree that I have in Glasgow Green, which is you know, part within the city of Glasgow centres. I sit every day and it was particularly a friend during COVID, you know, that when we didn't have this ability to connect with, with others, the tree became a connection for me. Uh, you know, I hugged the tree and I'm perfectly happy to say that. And I think yeah. this is important. Um, I think actually doing this project has been really interesting. I'm starting to love other people's trees, which they've written and told me of them. And I deeply feel some of the stories people have said. I would love to meet some of these trees that people have spoken to. Sorry, in The Guardian the other day about Novak Djokovic, who uh, I sent on to you, James, who has a favourite tree in a, a park, I think, near Sydney. But he's kept it top secret, just like you did, James. So nobody else can visit it <laughs> whilst he's there enjoying it and hugging it. Um, <laughs> But anyway, Becky, go on. So I have a favorite group of trees. And um, and I'm probably not the only person that lives down in Cornwall that, that has these. They're my husband's as well. And there's a small group of them. And you see them when you drive, make the drive from Devon down into Cornwall because they mark the border. And they're the welcome home trees. So when you see those trees, you know you are home. And there's about 140 of them, but they're all grouped together quite tightly in an otherwise, you know, just like on the top of a, the brow of a hill, and then it's flat apart from that. So they're very, uh, they're very special, and they're special because they have mm. a meaning that is tied with that broader connection to yeah, place. I like that. You know your home. That's a good one. I, I've thought about this long and hard, and I don't have one, but I think I, I do. Is it sort of in terms of its totemic and it connects in with a whole lo load of other trees. There's somewhere in, um, in Ayrshire called Dumfries House. I don't know whether either of you have been, but it's in a most amazing location, part of the Prince's Trust, um, and an incredible array of trees, redwoods, oaks, ash, you name them, they're, they're there. Um, but in the wall garden there, there is a sycamore, which is about three, 400 years old, and it sits on top of this knoll, and it's like the king of the trees. It, it 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 rises above, literally metaphorically above all the others. And when I see that, I'm in my happy place. Um, and, I, you know, kids running around it, hanging off it. Lots of good memories. Well, James, thank you so much for coming along. I hope uh, all of our listeners can share their stories too. We'd really like to hear those. But we look forward to seeing where this project goes next. And in, indeed, you spinning this off into other areas. You've mentioned water. So we'll, we'll bring you back on to hear more about that in due course. Thanks for having me. And yeah, if you're interested to hear more about Every Tree Sells Story, you can find us online at everytree.uk, particularly on Instagram. It's Every Tree Tells a Story. 
You've been listening to Local Zero. The number one way you could help this pod is to share it with somebody you think might like it. So if there are any other climate change or energy geeks out there that you think might like Local Zero, please do recommend us. On our website, localzeropod.com, you can find and listen to the back catalogue of episodes we've recorded over the years. And do please email us at localzeropod at gmail.com if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.